Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Radio's in the name, but it's so much more than a radio show now. Watch us on YouTube. You can uh, listen to us on radio stations, of course, across Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, and beyond. Or download the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you very much. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how you doing? Hi, doing well. I'm not ready for it to end, Dan. It's ending. God dang. The time of year you just look forward to, I mean, if you fish, you can fish year round. But when you hunt, other than, you know, turkey hunting in the spring and some snow goose hunting in the spring generally you're looking forward to that fall you know the the leaves are changing the wildlife is getting more active the temps are cooling off a little bit i just love fall so much and it never sticks around long enough around here i'm not ready for it to be over where should we go? Let's plan a trip somewhere other than our last trip. Well, I keep trying to plan trips. And you're like, well, I don't know. We're going to be pretty busy. So I don't know. And all of a sudden you're all trip happy and I've been trying to get one going. I know. Well, we got shot. We're going to do shot show in January. Uh, we've got a Lake of the Woods trip uh, there. we got a Saskatchewan fishing trip that we have to do. I've got uh, two sports shows in Chicago and Milwaukee that I got to do in February. So you're taking plenty of trips. We got a lake of the a second Lake of the Woods trip there that we got to take. Uh, what am I missing? I know I'm missing a couple of them too. We're but. trying to get to Haybale Heights. Oh yeah, we're gonna do a Devil's Lake trip this winter. Do a snow bear trip up at Haybale. I don't know, I will, I, I should clarify, Dan. Uh, I want to do a bird hunting trip somewhere and so far we don't have one of those in there. And well, I know we've talked about doing a Texas trip which I'd be all about. You haven't been all about. Well, I, I would be all about it. I just don't know where we're going to fit it in. But I want to do an like I want to do an upland trip. I want to do a pheasant trip, uh, quail trip, something like that somewhere. And um, I just don't know if we're going to have time to fit it in. But it'd be nice. Yeah, it would be, I guess, for you upland fanatics. I don't know. I, the idea of taking an upland trip is cool. I'm not against the idea, but it's definitely not high in my list of priorities. But that's me. I don't have a dog, so upland hunting takes the backseat to other things. It, and, it's so different without a dog. And you haven't, I, I mean, and you haven't had the chance to take some waterfall trips down no. south, really. No, either, I so, um, It's fun, man. We, we definitely should do it. Uh, like a snow goose trip down to Arkansas or Missouri or Texas or something like that, or a crane trip. I really like to do a crane trip in Texas. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, it's almost like that's what I'm trying to line I it, up. I know it's exactly what you're trying to line up. <laughs> <laughs> so I, if I had the time, I would definitely be all about it. It's just the calendar is filling up fast. We're going to talk a little bit of ice fishing. Uh, we'll talk to Joe Henry, get a report. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Lake of the Woods and uh, what you can expect up there uh, during the winter. And then one thing to, to think of, whether you're going to Lake of the Woods or Red Lake or Mille Lacs or honestly anywhere, uh, one message that we are happy to help push is this keep a clean message and plan for what to do with your garbage all right plan for bringing garbage bags plan for not leaving the garbage bags in the snow outside your fish house where they're going to freeze in or blow over and then fall into the lake or somebody else is going to have to deal with plan on dealing with your human waste 
Because if if we don't take care of that and keep it out of the lakes, the government's going to step in and make us do it. And nobody wants more government mandates, right? So we have to self-police ourselves and keep it clean. Clean up after yourselves when you're out there on the ice, all right? Also, Thomas Hoke is going to join us. He's got a YouTube channel, Hoke Outdoors. This is the second of a two-part interview. We had him on last week, too. Uh, Check him out on YouTube. And then we'll talk waterfowl and working with DRC Calls up with uh, Corey Loeffler with Thomas Hoke coming up later in the show. Dan, who are the sponsors this week? This week we have On X. Nor you stand with On X. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Live Target. Match the hatch at livetargetlures.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake in North Dakota. Learn more at haybellheights.com. Alclair Audio, save your hearing in the field with Alclair. Learn more at alclairoutdoors.com. Ottertail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts in January. Watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. It's ice fishing season and time to plan your trip to Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. Stay at the Lakeside Resort along the Rainy River in one of their new cabins and enjoy delicious meals and hot or cold beverages in the Miles Lab Barn Grill. Or stay in one of their comfortable sleeper houses on the ice complete with a TV, stove, and lots of walleyes right beneath your feet. You also have the option of staying at their motel, the Walleye Inn, located in Bidet. Book your ice fishing trip to famous Lake of the Woods today at riverbendresort.com. That's riverbendresort.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the live shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybell Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. All right, now we're going to head up to Lake of the Woods to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism, where the best season is getting. Well, I shouldn't say this is the best season at Lake of the Woods, Joe. It's it's one of the most fun. It's it's a year-round destination, of course, but ice fishing is something I think everybody looks forward to at Lake of the Woods, Joe. I'll tell you, you know, and you, you, you kind of ask yourself, what what's different about Lake of the Woods if you haven't been there ice fishing? And yeah, I think there's a few things, you know, because, you know, it one, there was a day when I had been brand new to Lake of the Woods. It was right around my college years. And, but I'll tell you what, you know, you go to Lake of the Woods and first off, it's incredible just to see the size of that ice. And, and then the resort community, it's really, it's really cool to have different restaurants, different bars, different owners who you meet, different personalities, the ice guides, that is really cool. And then of course, you know, the fishing and it, you have a, you fish earlier than normal. You, you can ice fish all the way till April 14th for walleyes and sagras the season goes. You can keep your fish houses out an extra month all the way through March 31st. I mean, that's unique. And then, of course, stay in water. So the walleyes and sagras bite during the day. In addition to walleyes, you have sagras, which is a bonus fish. 
I mean, you know, all those things make it, you, you have eel pout. Once in a while, you catch a sturgeon. You got an opportunity to catch literally a fish of a lifetime, whether you're talking real, really any species, you could catch an absolute giant from time to time, you know? So there's a lot of things that make, and the consistency, I think. It's very consistent fishery. When you're ice fishing Lake of the Woods, you're probably going to catch a multi-species. Um, they're just, there's so many things that make Lake of the Woods a great ice fishery. And that's why it's so popular. Now, big perch are fun. Eel pot, to me, eel pot are great. They're a lot of fun. They put up a good fight. But people go there, of course, for the walleyes and the saugers. If you were going to head up there uh, this winter, Joe, or say somebody's like, hey, Joe, I, all right, I'm going to make my first trip to Lake of the Woods, go up there and catch some walleyes. What do I need to bring up there? What do you tell them? Well, I tell you what, if you, uh, if you have ice fishing gear, you know, if you have your, your uh, ice fishing rods, a bucket, you know, if you have electronics, like a, uh, whatever, whatever your favorite electronics are, like a Vexlar, a Markham, um, you know, Garmin, or whatever, whatever your choice of like, Lorance, whatever your choice of, you know, electronics are. Now, I will say this. If you're fairly new to ice fishing and haven't invested in electronics, a lot of the resorts and bait shops up there will rent um, electronics, primarily Vexlars, but they'll rent them to you by the day. So you can, you know, have those electronics to watch when the fish are coming through, where in the water column they are, how they're reacting to your presentation. But you can see all that with, with that. That's why it's so valuable to have at least one ice unit in the fish house. But uh, um yeah, and, and, you know, other than that, the, 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 your tackle. I mean, uh, you know, you're having a, a smattering of tackle. If you don't have tackle, don't worry, because the resorts and bait shops up at Lake of the Woods have tackle very specific to Lake of the Woods. They have the right colors for that stained water, the glows, the golds, the pinks, oranges, chartreuses, you know, things like that. Um, what else? You know, uh, I think uh, really other than that, if you're going fishing with a resort, they provided heat, a heated fish house for you. They provide the scooper for scooping out ice. They provide a garbage service. Uh, they clean the fish for you. Um, some of the resorts will even cook the fish for you if you don't want to cook your own fish when you're up there. Some people like having fish fries in their cabin, you know, with their family and friends and such. So that's your choice. But, you know, it, really your, your, your rods and uh, your tackle and uh, um, your electronics. And, and really that's it for the most part. You, you get your bait if you're fishing with a, a resort that provide bait for you. If you're fishing on your own, you just go to a bait shop and pick up your minnows or whatever you're using. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't take much, right? All right, so I'm in the house and these are essentially you're, you're renting a day house and transportation to the house. The, the guys will come through and check on you and make sure you got bait and food and, and uh, we'll help you out if you're fishing, but it's not really guided fishing necessarily so if i'm sitting in there joe and i got my electronics down i'm marking a few fish but i'm not catching them what do you what do i do next yeah just scream just scream real loud <laughs> um no and, and i would say you know whether, <laughs> whether you're whether you're fishing in a uh, i gotta say that danny's pretty quick isn't he that's that guy falling out of the fish house too, wasn't it? That audio. <laughs> Remember that video? The guy falling out. The guy's still hooked up to the snowmobile and he's in the fish house and his buddy takes off on the sled. And he's like, ah, he falls out of the fish. Anyway, that's I the told yeah. <laughs> I laugh every time I hear it. But uh, no, um, yeah, now where do we go with this? So, um, yeah, so trying to get those finicky fish to bite. Well, you know, you know, you'd mention, you know, hey, you're probably going to be in a day house. You might be in a sleeper house too. We sure. have a ton of sleepers on Lake of the Woods, so you might be in a sleeper fish house. But the bottom line is this. When those walleyes and saugers come under your, under your fish house, and you can see my electronics, you know, gonna be, you're going to get a lot of fish coming through. But if they're not cooperating, you got to do something different. So right off the bat, 
I like to do the one-two punch. The one-two punch is one jigging line and one dead stick. The jigging line, you're going to have some kind of a lure on there, probably tipped with a minnow head or a minnow tail. And then you're going to have a dead stick. And all a dead stick is is a, a live minnow on either a plain hook or a, like an ice jig, a small ice jig. And you're going to have that six inches to a foot as a rule off the bottom under a bobber. Or if you want to get fancy, you can have a, a rod with a real you know sensitive tip and just set that on the floor or set it in a rod holder and watch your tip. But but you're, you're going to have that one-two punch. The active fish um, are going to are going to probably hit your jigging line. They're going to also get attracted to it, even if they're not active. And then your dead stick will catch really everything too. The active fish will hit the live minnow as well as the fish that are more neutral. If, if you got a cold front going through, or maybe the fish ate a whole bunch yesterday and they're not as hungry today, that sort of thing. But so you get the one-two punch. Now, as far as jigging goes, uh, I would say there's a few things. If you're the normal jigging cadence for myself would be. You know, jig, jig, and let it free fall to the bottom. Jig, jig, and let it free fall to the bottom, and then just hold it still. And a lot of times they'll hit it when you stop it. You know, that, and, and I like to let my, my lure stop at about a foot off the bottom, sometimes six inches. That's one jig cadence. If they're not reacting, like if you see them down there, but they're not, they're not hitting on that, change it up right now. Like you, you want to go bang. You want to go, you know, cadence one, cadence two, cadence three, because you got to do it fast. Although that fish is going to swim away. You, you only have that attention span of that walleye or sauger for a very short time. So I do the normal jigging cadence first. Secondly, I'll drop it in the mud or sand and just lift it off slow and shake it. Hold it still. Drop in the mud. We get a poof of dust under there. Just like, just like minnows are feeding. There's something coming out of the mud, like blood worms or, but, but you drop in the mud, lift it up, shake it a little bit and hold it still and see if they hit it. If they don't hit it, I shake it like heck, and I start reeling up, thrill of the chase. A lot of times, instinctively, walleyes and saugers will be chasing their bait, and they'll chase it up. The minnows normally rise in the water column. So what you do is you you jig it, and you, you start reeling up. You jig it, you start reeling up, and they're chasing you. Don't stop it. Keep it going. Keep it going. You, a lot of times, you know, if we've been in a fish house together, you'll hear my commentary, oh, he's four feet off, he's five feet off, he's six feet off, seven feet off, boom, got him, you know? And they hitch and they push you up and you set that hook and life is good. But, but there again, it's a thrill of the chase. Um, so you try different things. You know, if, if if that's not working, try really downsizing your jigging presentation. Put a really small jigging spoon on, maybe a small jig. Use just a small minnow, small minnow head. Maybe switch from a minnow head to a piece of the minnow tail. Um, if that's not working, go big. Go big and get aggressive. Put on a rip and wrap and start ripping a rip and wrap. Put on a... a, a, a a wrap, you know, a, a jig and wrap, put on a bigger spoon, put on a, a spoon with vibration versus maybe before you using a spoon that didn't have vibration, you know, mix it up until you figure out what those darn walleyes want. Yeah. I will promise you this. You can have the same anglers in the same fish house. And at the end of the day, these two anglers might come in with very little. These other two anglers might come in with a whole bucket full. It's because they worked at it. They tried different things. Now, if you're the type of folks that like to go in there and play cards and play cribbage and that sort of thing, that's great. Just know that if the fish are in a neutral mode that day, you might have a, a smaller bucket, if uh, a smaller bucket full. If they're active, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna catch fish regardless. Yeah, and I think the key to that is keep trying different things until you figure out a you know a pattern. You figure out something that works. Uh, I like to go big or go home a lot of times, and 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 Joe that that thrill of that chase of of raising it up and raising it up. I don't know how many times I've caught fish. There's a there's an art to that. 
There's some yeah. skill because I don't know how many times I've had fish hit when I'm at the very top of my reach here and it's hard to set the hook when you're way up there. So you got to you got to learn on your lift on how far you can go or or re- try to reel with it a little bit, but I know a lot of times when you lift, if you put a little reel in there, sometimes it might it'll give just a little bit different action and sometimes that'll spook the fish a little bit. So there's an artwork, a finesse of that lift, but usually that's uh that's the ticket. And I will say this, when we were up there for that a glow trip last year and Al's Goldfish Lure Company was there, Joe, and they gave us those, uh, that little 49er. Once I put that on, I that's what I caught all my fish on. But we were catching a lot of smaller fish and we caught a lot of saugers. Like we ate a lot of fish. Fishing was crazy. You know, caught a pile of fish. I think that was the biggest walleye that I caught there. But there was another group I think they were there either at the same time as us or right after we left fishing in a different house. And it was a family group. They were, oh yeah, no, it was friends. It was a, it was friends of mine and they messaged me on their way up when we were wrapping up. He's like, well, how is fishing? I said, I, I used this house goldfish lure and caught a pile of fish. So they, they, I think they stopped at, uh, what's in Rogers there, Cabela's. They stopped at Cabela's and Rogers and wiped them out of all the 49ers that they had there in the store and brought them up and caught a pile of fish on them. But the the kid's dad, I think it was, caught the biggest walleye. I think he'd never been ice fishing before. Caught the biggest walleye of his life. And and what was it on, Joe? The dead stick. It was stick. on Alice Goldfish Lure 49er. No, it was on the dead stick. Oh, was it? Plain hook in a minnow. <laughs> And he was, it was just I, I sitting there. I think that, he was, you say that. yeah, I think he was just talking and all of a sudden, yeah, uh, he got bit and it was, it was a fight of his life and he was hooting and hollering and screaming and the whole house was going crazy. They had kids running oh, I around. I remember that video. Oh yeah. That was a fun video. Yeah, he was fun. Well, I'll tell you, it just goes to show though, you know, he didn't, he didn't do much productivity wise, but he caught that big fish. You know, we're still talking about it. We weren't even in the fish house. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it just goes to show that dead stick, and I hate dead sticks. I absolutely hate them, but they are so effective uh, in a lot of places, but they're very effective at Lake of the Woods. Well, I'll tell you this much. So I've written a lot of articles on dialing in your dead stick because it'll absolutely make or break how many fish you put in that bucket. Again, it's the little things you do that make you successful, I think, when you're ice fishing or, or, or a lot of different uh, things. You know, so dead sticking. You know, as a rule, using a, a, a gold or a glow or a, a gold with a combination of gold or orange or pink um, ice fly, uh, like a walleye ice fly column, they might be a little bit larger hook than, a, than a, a sunfish hook, but more like a big crappie one or a small walleye hook. But they have them all over. Hook in that middle, right in that dorsal fin, and then having, uh, having that under about six inches off the bottom, maybe a foot off the bottom. Now, there are some days where if they're not reacting to that, here are some different nuances you can do. Number one, raise up and set your, your line up about two feet off the bottom. I'll tell you how I learned this, and sometimes that'll trigger fish. But I'll tell you how I learned this, is that when I would you know, be jigging my jigging spoon, and I would pull my rod way up on the floor and set it down in case I wanted to go, you know, maybe I grab something to eat or whatever the case might be, do something in the fish house, my lure would be three, uh, three feet off the bottom, right? Because I pulled it way up so a fish wouldn't pull it in just for a second. And then I look at my Vexlar and I can see a fish rising up to it. And I'd watch my, my rod move a little bit. I'd come up and set that hook and there'd be a fish hanging on there. I started setting my dead stick, you know, two, three feet off the, the bottom at times. And you know what? Think about this. 
in the real world, a lot of times those minnows are swimming above the walleyes. They're not going to swim right in front of their faces. They're going to swim above to get away from them. So those walleyes are used to going up and feeding up for fish. It's almost like if you put sometimes a walleye or a sauger, just like human beings, they don't want what they can have. They want what they can have, right? So you put that minnow right in front of a walleye or sauger, and a lot of times it just doesn't seem natural to them, especially if they're in a neutral mode. They just don't go for it. But if you put it above them and that thing's shaking up there and they can sense that their eyes are on top of their head, they got a lateral line, they got an inner ear that seeks, seeks frequencies, low, low uh, uh, frequencies, all of a sudden, boy, they, they, instinctively, they'll fly up and grab that minnow. It's just instinct. They can't help it. So... It's little things like that. A plain hook, a lot of times when fishing is tough, putting on a small plain hook, maybe a glow hook, maybe a, you know, whatever color, but uh, oftentimes a glow hook in that stained water and putting a real small hook on and hooking the smallest minnow in your minnow bucket just under the skin and then putting that, uh, you know, six inches off the bottom, especially if they're neutral, put it right by the bottom. But I tell you what, that can really catch you uh, uh, a few more fish. In the course of a day, if that catches you three, four more fish, you know, think about uh, two, three, four people in a fish house. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to get up and test that practice uh, and practice my dead stick at Lake of the Woods. Joan, if people want to plan an ice fishing trip up there, what should they do? Oh, man, check out our website. And that is Lake of the Woods. MN.com. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore, Rainy River, and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, Sauger, Perch, and Northern Pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to Lake of the Woods, MN.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand at sportingjournalradio.com or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. We sat down with Thomas Hoke. He came into town. We did some hunting with him. He's got a YouTube channel, Hoke Outdoors. And uh, we had the first part of our interview with Thomas last week. Now we're going to do the uh, the second part here right now on Sporting Journal Radio. How'd launching your kayak go? <laughs> Ooh, not so great yeah going back to that thing about confidence with the kayak i got way overconfident we're talking like icy going down icy riprap and uh dragging my kayak down look back and it's barreling down the rocks probably like five six miles an hour and i tried to jump out of the way and uh 
did not get out of the way quite time. <laughs> landed smack on my gun. Uh, luckily, well, I guess not luckily. The rib was already bent a little bit. Now it's way bent. Uh, but I shot a couple pheasants today, so I guess it's not. Still you know, shoots straight. Yeah, still or, shoots or straight. Or just uh, corrects for you <laughs> not shooting straight, maybe. Yeah, I guess that does make sense because I missed one on the first day. That's right. And then I bent my rib, and now I killed two on the last day. So, yeah, no, I'm definitely. Uh, I love it. Me, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you shot uh, shot some geese too. With it, I'm assuming this afternoon. Yeah, I, I mean, I would think I hit at least one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of a. It was that was a team effort. You know, they had th- you got two guns, three birds come in and do it perfectly. I don't think there's going to be too much bird claiming going on there. Yeah. Hopefully, unless you until know, it's banded. Yeah. Until it's <laughs> banded, right. and then we'd probably yeah. be pulling up the shot cam footage and watching me miss. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was and it was great too because you came down here and you did end up shooting one duck on that river float, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Yep. And then we pheasant hunted and you shot behind one or you shot the tail feathers off one. I can't. I feel like you took some feathers off that one. <sighs> I don't know. It was one Maybe. of those ones where like we we went back and looked at the footage, and I mean, typically you can follow the wad if the wad yeah. is going you know right right towards the bird, um, and you're not you know. And you're not too far behind or in front of it, you're going to hit the bird. I felt like the lead was perfect. The wad went straight toward in the line the bird was at, but it just flew through the pattern, basically. And then Matrix. Uh, yeah, I don't know, some weird sort of stuff. But, no, I didn't see any feathers come off that one, which is kind of thankful. You know, I always hate to knock feathers out of, out of one and not bring it down. Back. So, Well, okay, so you didn't shoot pheasants on that first time. And then we went out and sat. Most of us sat pretty much all day. During uh, uh, we're finally getting geese to migrate, and we sat out all day. Yeah, I mean, you cal- you helped us pick up a spread, helped us set a spread, sat out there for most of the day, never pulled a trigger, never saw a goose, and then uh, finally on the last day, we go out and pheasant hunt, shoot some birds, and then go out and we. I had to talk you into going out for the last hour. Yeah. What? Well, I you know I got I got work to do. I I love making YouTube videos, but at the same time, you know, I got calls to make. Got a bunch of orders coming in. People want to get their calls before uh, Christmas time, so trying to get some calls shipped out. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were getting Snapchats of hundreds of birds working the spreads. That's kind of hard to say no to that. Yeah. So well, you mentioned Tony earlier. That's Tony Crowdy from Mid Migration Outfitters, and Tony and Dan. You guys were out in the spread. What time did you guys go out there today? Well. Tony probably ran out there about 1.30. I was editing Prairie Sportsman, and that needs to get done. I'll get it done, Prairie Sportsman, I promise. But <laughs> I had to... It's I, migration I, day. Yeah, I started seeing birds fly over the house, and the, over the office, and then Tony started Snapchatting us, all of us, and it's like, okay, uh, let's put, some, put a sequence together, and I put on my camo as fast as I could, ran out there. <laughs> I don't know, maybe got out there about 2 o'clock, and met you guys as soon as you got there we were all done unfortunately but luckily you guys were there so i could stay and film which was a blast yeah i love being able to do that that was great yeah and we we got done pheasant hunting and the whole time we pheasant hunted for what a couple hours tom something like that and we had forrest huset and also andy reeves with us who uh who the, the guys we did the uh, layout duck boat hunting with up at lake of the woods they came down and hunted with us so the four of us went out and i filmed and you guys shot some birds and the entire time I you'll if if I, I don't know if I'll include this in the pheasant footage, but every so often I just put the camera up because there'd be another giant flock of geese flying over us. It was like constant, like heavy, heavy push today. And in the back of my brain, I'm like, man, there's a decoy spread just sitting there waiting for us. Uh, but we it was getting later in the day, and they, those guys had a bail, and then you were getting ready to leave, and 
I was like, well, all right, we'll just relax a little bit, wrap things up, do a little podcast recording, and then you can head out. And then t- I opened up my phone, and you got you and Andy were talking about ducks and this and that, and I'm just like watching a hundred Snapchats from Tony about geese like bombing into the spread. We have so many Snapchats we take, <laughs> like, so many. I'm like, guys, we gotta we gotta go hunt. Forrest, <laughs> Andy, you guys are welcome to join us, but uh, if you're not, we gotta go. And Thomas, you should go out there with us. And you did, and we we kind of hauled out there. We met Tony and Dan on the road there. They had just gotten done and they were leaving. So we ran out there and we were kind of talking, setting up. And I remember saying, as we were walking out to the blind, I'm like, I, I don't really see any geese flying. We might've missed it. It might be too late. We definitely thought you guys were too late. Yeah. Definitely didn't think you were going to pull the trigger. None of you. <laughs> so, so we're down there and we're in a, in an A-frame and I, you know, we're both kind of getting our guns out and calls and doing everything, getting all set up. And all of a sudden I hear, and I'm like, what is that noise? Like, and I look up and Dan's just barreling at the blind as fast as he can run. A Not sprint, very fast. <laughs> sprinting at it through the snow. And he comes ripping open the blind with this wild look on his face. I'm like, are there birds coming or something? He's like, yeah, there's three right in front and they're going to do it. And I look up and it's just three birds just locked up, wing tricking and doing all this. And he couldn't have done it any better. No, I mean, absolutely could not have done it any better. I mean, just hovering over the over the decoys basically what they were doing or over the kill hole actually Perfect. and the wind the wind had switched between when we set the decoy spread in today hadn't it yeah yeah we were talking about that before you guys got out there that that we had set that those decoys for an east wind so oh, it yeah. was it was kind of awkward and we definitely had a few birds before you guys get out there get a little weird over it because you know this time of year birds get kind of weird about flying over decoys and they had to fly over that big, especially their silhouettes, they had to fly over. And it was just one of those days that I guess it didn't matter mostly. But, yeah, it was set for an east wind, and we had obviously had a northwest wind today. And some just didn't care. Went yep. right over those decoys right into the hole. Well, I feel like they spun at least once, I think, on us and then came back around. And, Dan, like, I was getting ready to film them, and Dan's like, I'll film it. I'm like, oh, heck yeah. So I grabbed <laughs> well, my gun. I couldn't do anything else. Yeah, I wasn't just going to there. Yeah. So I load up my gun quick, and uh, those three came in, and there was one kind of separated on the left. And, I, I, you know, I know I shot at that one. Maybe you, you shot. Killed, you killed that one. I didn't yeah. know if you shot at it, too, whatever. And then the two were kind of kind of grouped up. Yep. For yeah, me, I, I tried to kill them both with one. So shot. did I. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of waiting, you know, waiting for you to shoot, and then I was like, ah. So I shot, and we probably both shot whatever. One falls, and then uh, I'm like, uh oh. And then I could. It was like it was swinging too far to the right. I couldn't shoot at it anymore. So I'm like, yep. kill, kill that goose, kill that goose. And you took another shot, and it kept flying away, kept flying away. And I'm like, well, we got we got the two of them, whatever. And then I think you said wait a minute or hang on or. yeah i could tell it was like it was just it, it was slowing up and it was gaining altitude like, at the same time yeah. and like i've seen it happen with ducks before not much with geese actually but ducks you know if you hit them in i, I think it's probably either a lung or a like a heart shot, shot or something yeah. yeah like shooting a deer yep and they just kind of start gaining altitude and then they kind of it's like they stall out mm-hmm. almost and they stall out completely and then they just fall dead so that was what he did exactly what he did i've seen pheasants do that a lot too i've seen pheasants fly like a half mile and do that exact thing fly up like hover for there for a second and then just they die and then yep. fall straight down and i yeah i walked up to it it was stone dead laying there 
But so we wiped out the three pack. That's pretty cool. Yep. And then we had one more come in, and actually he might have. That might have been what we were talking about with that win. Kind of messed him up because he can't. It was a single that came back three times. Yeah. First two times comes in, works the decoys like three or four circles, peels out, and then we hear the same single come back. And he kind of, I think it was pretty sure it was a mid-sized bird. It had yeah. a little bit of a higher pitch. EPP. Um, EPP. Yep, EPP. Yep. It had a little bit of a higher pitch honk. And uh, third time it comes back and proceeds to shortstop us. So Yeah, yeah it yeah, landed. If, if that group of silhouettes wasn't there, again, wrong thing. It landed on the edge of the decoys like yep. it should have. It did not. I mean, that was our fault. We probably should have moved I mean, them, but yeah. whatever. I mean, it was kind of, it's always kind of fun to just watch geese in the decoys like that. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also have a theory, and we talked about that, that we might have shot that one's mate. Yeah. The way it worked, like it was honk, honk. Would sur- I think it twice it, it bugged out on us and, and then finally came back and landed. And like it, all the other geese that we had landed in the decoys, Tony had landed some decoys before I got there and was telling me every single goose. He's did, really good at landing decoys. <laughs> landed some geese. And every single one of them, or a lot of them, I should say, they'd land. And then in that snow, they'd lay down. They'd take two steps, lay down, oh, yeah. and melt that snow to eat. And this one never did that. I was watching it for yep. it. Never did that. It just stood there and, and honked a little bit. And so I'm guessing earlier one of us shot its mate or something, because you'll see that a lot, that they'll so they, they, they're, they mate for life. They'll try to come back and find them. And rarely you're able to land those geese, and this time we did. But just one of those things, and that, that goose uh, will head south and figure out. I mean, I've killed a lot life. of geese that we shoot if it's a pair and you shoot the one, and then you can always yeah. call always. A lot of times you can call. A lot of times they're back, tough but, too, though. Yeah. Like they, they'll circle a lot, but a lot of times, at least in my experience, they won't commit like that, and mm-hmm. like, kind of like this one did twice, mm-hmm. and then finally, price got tired. Yeah, and that that dang thing, like it was just harassing us, and I know we we like we'd hammer on the calls at it. And then we'd get real quiet and we'd get real high pitched and we get real low pitched. And then the last time I just set my call down. I'm like, he, and he would set up, mm-hmm. he would set up and he was coming in. So I was like, well, he obviously doesn't like what we're doing with the calls. So I'm just going to set the call down, see if he does it. And yeah. And then he landed on the outside of the spread. Yeah. <laughs> I picked up my squeaker tweaker and tried to rip on him. Actually, I thought I had him. I don't know if y'all saw that. Um, he was, he was landing out at like, I don't know, like 100, 120. I started ripping on that because we'd both been blowing, I think, deep honker calls. I was blowing a life sentence. I'm not sure exactly what you were blowing. But uh, start ripping on that squeaker tweaker, and he came an extra 60 yards but still just did not want to fly over those extra silhouette decoys. Behind your computer right there. Yeah, I actually called. I changed and used my short drop. So I changed it up from okay. my core to the, to the short drop to try to give it a different sound. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you got to throw different things at him, see what sticks. And yep. Didn't matter. I, obviously, he'd been harassed. Like yeah. He was not happy about life and wanted to get in there for one reason, but what didn't really want to get in there. And that's all right. You know, either way, we uh, – you're backwards there. Yep. Either way, we uh, – we finished finished the hunt and finished the week on a good note, yep. and you know it's nice when things come together. and And you and I talked about this a little bit, or maybe it was I guess it was me and Andy talking about this. We were talking about guide trips and the guys that book multi day guide trips versus you know like a one or two day hunt, like a three to five day hunt. Yeah, it's more expensive, but those guys tend to be a little bit more relaxed about things because they know not every hunt's going to be a banger. So like you coming down for a few extra days like this, it's nice because it, it allows you to be able to have, you know, have the time to have a good hunt. 
you know, if not everything aligns right away. Yep, exactly. And we were kind of talking about it during the hunt. Like this time of year is just boom or bust. You know, it's late season. Birds are really congregated. You're dealing with big pushes of birds and a lot of stale birds too. You know, a lot of birds that have been shot at and yeah. seen a lot of decoy spread. So uh, when you get into them, like Dan and Tony did today, it can be really good. But uh, when you're when the weather's not in your favor you don't have kind of that perfect setup a lot of times it's just a grind to squeak out a few birds hoke outdoors is a youtube channel what what are some of the crazier hunts that people can watch on there Ooh, um say probably the craziest one or I, i'd say my favorite story behind a hunt is the one i actually have as my set as my channel trailer it's from last year down in north carolina and i had spent um basically the whole weekend hunting down there they their season's kind of weird they open up for an early season a two-day early season um like the last weekend in october and so i hunted the opening day of that season didn't do much and drove like two three hundred miles east um doing a ton of scouting and actually met up with these a couple local guys and uh I'll let the rest play out in the video, but it was really cool to meet up with a couple local guys, just a completely happenstance, and we had a pretty incredible hunt. And then besides that, I mean, I got hit in the head once by a goose. That Oh, uh, tell us that story. Yeah, I mean. Because Dan had one that landed almost in the blind today. I should have caught it, yeah. It just... Yeah, I suck at my job today. I'm sorry for whoever's watching this on YouTube because either I have a lot of editing to do or it's rough. Oh boy, jeez. Well, you uh, you almost could have caught it. Probably would have hurt because that's why I didn't mm -hmm. catch it. Yeah, because didn't you get knocked right out? Yeah, I mean, it, I, uh, <laughs> sorry for it knocked me out. Completely. I, <laughs> we had we had a I want to say it was like a five six seven pack of honkers coming over and it was just a pass shot like 30 35 yards i stand up crumple the one on the right side of the flock i'm standing in the right side of the blind crumple the rightmost one switch over double up hit another one the second most or the no um the one that's now on the rightmost side of the flock so i doubled up and as i'm going for the triple um i just get absolutely clobbered and <laughs> I was out for, I mean, I was out for like five, 10 seconds and wake up. And the funniest thing about it actually is that the guys and the guy, the other two guys I was with did not realize what happened. They turned around and I'm laying on the ground Jeez. and they're oh like, gosh. I'm watching laying right on the here. ground. What's going on? And I'm like, I just got hit by that goose. Like, I have a concussion right now. And like, Oh my God, it did hit him. And the goose is laying there beside me. Um, I will say the one part about the one part about that that I really missed out on is I had a GoPro facing back towards us and it died like oh, no. five minutes before that. And that would have been the funniest angle because it would have been the impact. Um, and I mean, oh, it just absolutely clocked me. I, I don't think I I mean, I probably had like a. I don't know if I had a concussion or not. Like, I didn't really have concussion symptoms. I've had them before, but I had a headache for the rest of that hunt. But it was a really, really good hunt, and I couldn't couldn't back out on it at that point. So, go, know, to, go to, well, either go to your YouTube channel or I just played it here on the show. Then I I apologize for laughing because that, <laughs> that, that's no, kind of funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, and people always ask me if it hurts, if it hurt. And I'm like, this is like a 10 to 12 pound goose. <laughs> yeah. And it's falling from 30 yards up with momentum already i mean imagine someone taking a 
bowling ball. Bowling ball is 10 to 12 pounds and just chucking it off the top of a three-story building and it landing on your head. Right. That's going to hurt. Well, I've seen them. We had one, one hunt where actually I watched a goose land on a layout blind and the guy was in the layout and he, it all said it was coming at him. So he bailed. Like he literally <laughs> rolled out of the layout blind because he got, he got freaked out. I don't blame him because that goose then hit the right side of the layout blind and flipped it over. Like what? picked it up and flipped it right over. And then another one might've been the same flock. I can't remember, but another one landed on the dog blind and bent the frame of the dog blind. Yeah. And those were not 35 yards up either. So the, these are big heavies, but yep. those things will do some damage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's just dead weight too. So, I mean, it's, it's going to hit where it's going to hit. And um, a lot of times, you know, actually I got lucky that day because we shot seven geese that day. Five of them had broken wings, like bad broken wings. And luckily, the one that I shot mm. was one of the two that did not have a broken wing. So, like, could have at very oh, got stabbed. Yeah, stabbed, put an eye out, you know. Worst things, worst comes to worst, catches you in the neck. And next thing you know, you're bleeding out on a duck hunt. Gosh, so. you, know, you know what's going to happen is somebody in Minnesota is going to hear this interview now. And Minnesota is going to put in some sort of regulation <laughs> that we have to wear helmets and mouth guards. <laughs> When we and and when concussion protocols, if if you're if you get hit in the head, you have to get out of the blind. That's what I was gonna say. There's gonna be somebody who has to watch every hunt and then a play later, a volley later, no volley later, you come back in, go into concussion protocol. But that's why we need to vote. That's right. That's right. I vote for no helmets in the goose blind. I'm, I'm watching. I was watching this, and you're giving like the recap after. You definitely looked very dazed. Oh, like, I was seeing stars. <laughs> yeah, like, like, but I don't know what you're saying. But I've been doing it for like long enough. Like I've been making videos for like a year or two. Like it was just kind of I was conditioned to that point where I was like, well, that just happened. But yeah, let's point a camera at myself and try and talk to it. So. Yeah, uh, I, I got don't... two words for you. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Made in America. <laughs> Goose hunting hurts. <laughs> that's and hilarious. that clip was made in America. That's awesome. Well, what I mean, do you do a lot of traveling for the channel, and are, are, do you got some other some trips planned or places you want to go and film? Um, yeah, I mean, I do a good bit of tra traveling. I wouldn't. I mean, I'd say it's. Oh, I'm looking for the right word here. It's facilitated by the channel. Like I'm definitely mm -hmm. able to do it because I make these videos and they do give me some sort of revenue, but I love traveling to hunt. Like it's probably one of my favorite things to do is just exploring new places. So even if I wasn't filming videos, I think I'd be traveling just as much. Um, but this year, you know, I got out to North Dakota for the first time ever on a duck hunting, duck hunting trip. And that was absolutely incredible. Just the number of ducks out there um, blew me away like nothing I've ever seen before. And I kind of have had a taste of that. I'd got out there for the August goose season before. So that was like way up at the top of my list, you know, seeing all those breeding birds out there. It's like, I got to get out there during the regular duck season. So I was really glad I got to do that. But Besides that, I kind of, I really want to explore the Pacific Northwest more. I got to hunt Idaho last season for a few days and had an absolute blast with that. And it's just a really cool part of the country that it's, and the thing I like about it is it reminds me a lot of the hunting in Virginia. Like it's a lot of it's kind of coastal stuff, marshes, swamps, a lot of the same habitats we see in Virginia, but it's completely different birds. The birds act differently. They have different limits. They, you know, have different species compositions. They have a ton more widget out there. We don't have many of those on the East coast. So I really like, um, that it's similar habitats, uh, but people shoot a lot of different birds and they hunt them a lot differently as well. 
you you've spent some time now in the central Mississippi flyways after being so you're the Atlantic flyway over there. Mm-hmm. How different are these flyways as someone that's hunted across uh, a bunch of them? It's it's hard to describe. I mean, honestly, it's like being in a different world. Like if you took hunting, at least in the hunting I've done in Virginia, North Carolina, those are the only two East case East Coast states I've hunted. So I haven't hunted the the whole of the Atlantic Flyway, um, and I feel like it's kind of hard to compare. You know, being way up at the northern end of the Central Flyway and being kind of the middle part of the Atlantic Flyway, but they it's like being in a different world for sure. Like the just the bird numbers, the way the birds act, um, the hunting pressure. It's uh, I, I find it much more enjoyable to hunt out here. I, I still enjoy hunting back home in Virginia. I enjoy kind of some of the nostalgia of hunting. A a swamp for wood ducks but you know kind of the quintessential virginia duck hunt is a 15 minute wood duck hunt in a swamp and after those 15 minutes you might as well head home because the odds of seeing a mallard or a teal or anything else are slim to none so um yeah it's just i think it's just the fact that so many more birds are produced directly north of these flyways and because of that they funnel down here versus the east coast is so heavily developed that what used to be the breeding habitat there is uh, severely depleted. And at this point, we rely on those migrators that have to migrate all the way across the country, mind you. Like uh, People like to talk a lot about how the canvasbacks don't make it to the Chesapeake Bay anymore. Well, they have to migrate all the way past the Great Lakes, which hardly freeze anymore. Um, so Yeah, I, it's more of a lateral migration, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yep. They, yep. I'm not, they yeah they go through the great lakes um and they focus in on a couple of the lakes in that area in particular and if those couple lakes don't freeze then you're not going to see a big push so um see having to rely on those birds that are migrating a thousand two thousand miles and a lot of those birds are ice dependent um has really made hunting tough the last few years when we haven't had a real winter yeah, I honestly I don't know anything about East Coast waterfowl for that for that matter. And but I've but I've learned that there are some some birds that will travel more. They'll come down and then go almost straight east to go out to the coast out there, which is just a weird migration pattern to me. But also here in Minnesota in particular, but people complain about confusing regulations at times. Some some people don't like the splits. I'm in favor of the split. Um, Not this year. This year, yeah. This year is a little bit of a weird year, but... um, Did the big push come during the split this year? It came right, literally right now. Well, this was just now. This was the... Okay, gotcha. So we, I mean, we're... The dates are pretty much right on this year. Our split was a good time this year. I still like the split. I'm not going to trash the split, but we're fearing that our season's done a little earlier than than the season date says and that's just mother nature we've normally pushed for a later duck season because we want to shoot late season mallards Mm -hmm. this year that we may not have that might bite us in the butt oh well but you know you and i were talking this week a little bit about some of the some of the weird rules and regulations as you have out on the east coast and i'm wondering to you for someone that's hunted there and someone that's hunted here mississippi central atlantic what do you think has more who do you think has more confusing regulations because i th- i feel like it's that way everywhere like you you're going to have some special regs to protect some some populations of birds and some species that might have lower numbers right now and it's just up to hunters to kind of know what's going on and sure it can get confusing and frustrating at times but you're going to have that everywhere i think yeah i'd say i think the east coast has more confusing regulations 
um, in that, you know, some of the regulations, the blind law one in particular, which basically people can license blinds and renew them every year, and you can't hunt within 500 yards of a licensed blind. So Virginia has thousands of miles of public water, rivers and creeks and such, um, and you can't hunt a lot of that because there's licensed blinds along all of it. Um, I would say I think Minnesota's regulations are a lot more frustrating, and it goes back to like the one of the first things I think Corey ever told me when I came up here is if you're having fun in Minnesota, you're probably breaking the law. And I cannot <laughs> tell you how true I found that, that to be. Sounds like Corey. Like I mean, it's just just the regulations are just fr- like it's not that they're hard to interpret. They're easy to interpret. It's just like, what is the reasoning behind this? I don't understand why a lot of regulations in Minnesota are the way they are. Like, for instance, the open water regulation, you can only lay out boat hunt on three lakes in Minnesota. Why is that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why can't it be all lakes? What are they trying to protect there is my question. So, um, well, and that kind of came up when we were talking to Adam today. Like, he's talking about having to do specific things with his layout boat on specific lakes versus out on uh, the lake that they hunt. They can actually hunt a layout boat like it's supposed to be hunted out in the middle of open water. Well, that actually came up uh, in the public actually had the chance to voice their opinion on that uh, last year was it I think last year in the survey came yeah. out and there wasn't enough support for it like the hunters had a chance to say whether they liked it or not hmm. and it's surprising because a lot of us were kind of for it at least opening up some more bodies of water for it um, because right now it even it's frustrating even if you just want to straight up hunt out of a, a boat duck boat sometimes it's hard to get enough concealment in natural vegetation to be completely legal. So uh, trying to trying to change that a little bit was something that's been brought up and the DNR offered it up and said, hey, you know, hunters, how do you feel about this? And there wasn't enough support for it. I think oh. it's a, it's a, to protect the sloughs kind of thing. Like I'd be for opening up to more lakes, but not everywhere. Like take a lot of our little sloughs we have around here in Western Minnesota and you get some Joe Schmo who thinks it's gonna be a good idea to set up in the middle of this slough while somebody's trying to hunt the edge. Like if it's a big slough and there's, potential to have two groups for it. I'm not a fat, like I don't like hunting with two groups, but if that's a possibility, you don't want some guy just setting up in the middle of it or or take it from this example on a fishing lake in September, yeah. you're gonna get 12 guys that are gonna load up on a pontoon on Gull Lake and Brainerd. Guys are gonna be trying to jet ski in this. It, it's a weird deal here. And that, like, that could just, it could get weird because I think a lot of birds, especially local birds are so used to boats and stuff they'd be very susceptible to it. I don't know. It's a strange thing and I have mixed feelings about it, but I would like to see like a leech lake or a winnie have it. Like right now, layout boat hunting on leech would be a blast. So what is it? It's uh, Malax, it's Nor- a Lake of the Woods, it's Pepin and Superior. Lake Superior. Yeah. And the Mississippi. I think the, the parts of the Mississippi you can do it too. Yeah, I think there's still, a, that's still weird. It's not like it's a free-for-all. I think there's still a weird right Yeah, I think it's that. like yeah, south of Hastings or something. Yeah, but yeah. Read up on that. Don't quote us on yeah, that one. But. But I, and I think part of it, too, is to Minnesota is such a water hunt state, yeah. like particularly the old um, tradition of hunting divers and hunting bluebills in Minnesota. So many people in Minnesota, as compared to other places, except maybe out on the coast, you know, the sea duck guys or whatever, are water hunters. Like you go to North Dakota and if, and if the locals see you with a blue plate and a boat behind you in the fall, they're not going to talk to you and they're not going to let you on their land and they're not going to be happy about it. So 
Minnesota is a water hunting state just because we're the land of 10,000 lakes and it's all public water. So I think part of that open water law is about protecting the ducks and protecting the places to hunt, but also not busting roosts, like not pressuring those ducks out in the middle of the lake and make you go hunt them in places, you know, and try to bring them to you versus going out to them. Or even for fall anglers. Like, well, I think there's people, something to that. People yeah. already get frustrated enough with fishermen coming through decoys on shore in the fall, like yeah. especially September, October. And I'll take, if a guy can set up on a, because this is what we learned in Lake of the Woods. I wanted a walleye fish because we were on a spot that the ducks were <laughs> feeding. The layout boats. And I guarantee you there were walleyes beneath, beneath <laughs> us. So now you get a lake that's smaller than Lake of the Woods and you get these walleye guys or musky guys, whatever, want to go fish. And there's a guy trying to duck hunt and some people get stubborn. There can be a safety well, issue. There's a safety issue for sure. Just a, there's going to be some conflicts and, and each to their own. They, you know, everybody has the right to that lake. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's a interesting deal. Maybe you put like a, you can start after October 15th or October 31st. Yeah. You'd have to probably like do that. something like that. And it'd yeah. be, it'd be such a change too that, you know, how people are when a regular right. regulation gets changed. A lot of people don't realize it for about 10 years mm-hmm. and continue to, you know, maybe break that law or whatever, but or it'd gonna, be another confusion. Well, there'd be a confusion there and, and you'll have people all of a sudden wondering why somebody's out in the middle of the lake banging away at, yep. you know, their divers. But yep. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them. I mean, I had a lot of fun up at Lake of the Woods oh, doing that layout boat deal. And, you know, if you opened it up to some more lakes, I think that'd be kind of neat. But it's always something. I will say this about the Minnesota DNR in the waterfall regs the last few years is I feel like they understood some frustration was coming from their hunters and they definitely tried to listen. And I think that's why going to three zones, northern, central and southern zone, I thought was a great idea. The splits I thought were a great idea. Not everybody agreed. Um, that's why the southern split essentially became the same as a central instead of what they originally did, which I don't know how I don't know how I feel about that. I thought it was a good idea to extend the southern zone, uh, extend their season a little bit longer. But a lot of guys in Minnesota too like to hunt teal in early early October and September, and uh, and guys like us like to hunt late season mallards. But not everybody has the opportunity to hunt fields, so it's hard to make everybody happy. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, we saw the same thing in North Carolina last year. North Carolina implemented splits for the first time last year and or implemented zones for the first time last year. They have two zones and we have a 60 day season, just like y'all, 60 day season on the East Coast and 56 of the days ran consecutively between the two zones. It's like, what's the point of having two zones if you're going to have four days that are different between the two of Mm -hmm. them? so that was kind of frustrating but i think stuff like that as long as the departments um that manage you know that set the regulations are willing to listen i think stuff like that will change i feel like they have been um at least the last couple of years so moving forward we'll see how things go uh and it's gonna be so hard i know dan we've pushed for later seasons so much and this year just mother nature had different plans for us. yeah and that's that's the battle but so what do you do was this a abnormally early freeze up or have the past like five to ten years been so abnormally warm that it's kind of skewed it like i guess this is more more of a question for brett well i remember a few years back i was guiding and i was taking a bunch of clients out on november 7th 
and I drove around the lake and saw, I could see the moon reflecting on the ice on the lake and the entire lake was frozen on November 7th. And it was just like this year. We had a long forecast, extended forecast of cold temps and that was the end of it. We did, we did shoot, you know, there's a little hole left open with some geese and we did shoot, I think we shot a speck that day and we shot a banded goose and a speck. Wow. And then we went and kicked open a hole to try to shoot ducks and shot one gadwall. And that was that was pretty much the end, of our, the end of our season that year. So, but I know there's been a handful of years in between then and now that we've been hunting geese in a field and been bombed by swarms of mallards that we can't shoot after Christmas. Yeah, you know that's this is early and but that's where our frustration is. It's like especially a lot of these years we won't see the mallards here, and then it closes and they show up. and And I know we're also. At, we're along a river. We're also in the yes. minority of that. And so that's something we have to take into consideration. And we have, we have access to good fields. And that, but even just being along a river, is that's we the key thing. Water. We have water. You mm-hmm. need the water. And in an area like, well, Rochester has open water, but. Yeah, power plants and rivers. Yeah, you know, but but you get a spot like, I'm just spitballing here, like Worthington. They don't have any, so it's like two hours south of us, and they don't have any any place that would keep water open i guess i thought that i know of at least i've never hunted down there but bottom line you need the open yeah. water we have it we're lucky enough to have that and that's why we push for it i know there's pushback for guys that don't get that but it's that's why it's hard this state is next to impossible to manage and make so, everybody happy so my answer has always been either do the early teal season at the end of september and then push back the regular season so that guys get to shoot their teal we get to open up a little bit later uh, we added the early teal, but they put it right at the beginning of September. In only five days. Only five days, and then opened up the regular season at the same time. Yeah. So nothing really changed with that. Just an extra five days to hunt, which is great. Which is fine. I, well, I think any extra hunting opportunities can Yeah, cool. but it's like 80 degrees, that. and half the time you can't ID teal. But it's a time to hunt. You shoot, yeah, whatever. We're out it. there shooting geese anyway at that time. So, But uh, that's just another one of those things. It's, Not everybody goose hunts. It's five days during the early goose season. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll be out there hunting geese anyway. And if a teal swims into the decoys, we'll shoot it. Like Mm, that's to me, the early teal season. (laughs) So my other uh, answer was to try to get the old flyway council together and say, give (laughs) the, give the Mississippi flyway some extra days. And then everybody's happy. The problem is, is then Arkansas gets to stay open an extra 10 days. And the guys down South get to stay open an extra 10 days, which their ducks are around a lot longer than they are. than they move through when they move through here, they're weather dependent when they're down there, they're down there. Till it, till it closes. So uh, that's been the pushback on just giving us more days in the Mississippi flyway. But I don't know. I mean, we're so close to the central flyway here. I don't know why they can have whatever they have, 72 or 70 or whatever it is, plus a high plains unit for mallards in January or uh, whatever they yeah. got over there. But it'd be nice to have uh, some river zones or something in Minnesota where if we got ma- fat, the best duck to me, the the fatty mallards, late season, plumed up fatty mallards, late November, if we got a place to shoot them, it would be nice to be able to shoot them. Yeah, it's hard to, definitely hard to be watching them coming to the decoy spread when you can't shoot them. And yeah. that's something that I haven't had to deal with much you know being from virginia we typically get to run till january 31st so you know just a couple times we've had it during late goose season which runs till february 15th we'll see them in the spread but i can't imagine having big swarms of mallards drop into the goose spread like that would be well aggravating to say torture and this year i think i've shot two mallards this year 
Like mm. the entire, like our duck season's almost over and I've shot two, I've shot more green wing teal than I've ever shot in my life. I feel like we were stacked with green wings for like a month around here, which isn't normal, but I haven't shot a widgeon. Uh, I haven't shot a gadwall. I know you guys shot some pintails. And we've shot pintails. I think we shot all three of them. But not many. No, like what one widgeon or something. One widgeon, yeah, which is abnormal. More pintails than normal. It's it's been a weird year just in our flyway. I mean, well, things have been different. Well, we're real area. dry. To be fair, yeah. we're real dry, so we don't have as much water as we've had in recent years. It, and that's actually something. Obviously, it's been cold. I'm not going to say this is why we froze up early, but shallow water freezes faster yeah. so there's something to that too but it's been so cold that's not a valid argument well but. and the mallards just pretty much got here yeah. within the last couple of days and it's going to be over for us so yeah. i guess it's i'm just frustrated because i'd like to be shooting some more mallards and i'd rather be shooting mallards and green wing teal which i like shooting teal but i'd rather be shooting mallards anyway we Rant go on over. And on. We can go on and on about <laughs> we, this. We've had a lot of podcasts where we have the same discussion. <laughs> well, I'm hoping something changes. A shell costs what a shell costs, and you get about double the meat off a mallet. Right. And you do a green wing. So yep. I mean, it's double the bang for your for your buck. I'd say. So I mean, I can I can completely understand the argument. I will say honestly, I think a teal tastes better than a mallard. But maybe not oh. up here. I need more time up here because y'all do get like the extremely fatty the mallards. mallards late in the yeah. season. And it's really hard to beat those. But like in Virginia, where a lot of our ducks aren't incredibly fatty, I'll take a, I'll take a teal over um, a mallard any day. And I actually we ate a lot of teal and we ate some really delicious teal. And I like eating teal, too. But it, it's funny how my my progression in the waterfowl not even in the industry, but just as a waterfowl hunter from going to want to shoot limits to going to want to shoot, you know, a mixed bag and shoot ducks I've never shot before. And now literally, I, I mean, yeah, I like going out there and shooting them and watching them work and all that, but I'm getting food. Like I eat these things and I eat them all the time. And I, you know, the whole thing about not shooting hen mallards, I get it to try to help the population, all that stuff, but I don't want to shoot a hen mallard because they're smaller than the drakes. <laughs> Like literally the size of the breast is smaller and I'm there to I, like, I, I just love a fatty mallard, Drake mallard. So let me just clear this up here. This isn't going to be aired on the radio, but you like large breasts. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Ooh, that was, yeah, that was just kind of well, a, yes. a chip shot there. <laughs> I, I love large breasts on my male ducks. Yeah. <laughs> you, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just made it even weirder. I mean, it is 2022. So he likes fits. large breasts on males. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. I just heard. Hey. I edit this show, so that's exactly what's going on. That will go on the radio. I mean, that's the promo. Those Drake mallards can identify as hen mallards all they want. I don't care. I'm still shooting them because they're bigger. Their breasts are bigger. All right. Uh, nice. Thomas Hoke, Hoke Outdoors on YouTube. Where else can we find you online? I do a little bit of Instagram stuff on Instagram and then I have a Facebook page. I don't really mess with it much anymore. So Instagram would be the main other place and that's just Hoke Outdoors as well. I know you, gosh, you did some filming with Corey. We didn't even get into Corey Loeffler's stories. Yeah. But tell, tell me one Corey Loeffler story from filming with him this fall up there um, before we go. Well, he showed me something I'd never seen before. He took a duck. We the were, waterproofing? Yes. Isn't the that waterproofing. wild? That is wild. Yeah, yeah. Took a duck, plucked it. 
and he's messing around on his back. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I've, I've, I've known that ducks have a gland back there, but I've never seen anybody mess with it. I mean, typically all your focus is on the other side of the duck, you know, where you get your food. But, uh, yeah, he's squeezing around back there, and I pull up the camera, and he's like, well, you're going to see some waterproof in here, and, you know, squeezes some oil out of there, and then he's rubbing it all on his gloves, and sure enough, you know, dips them in the water, and they're waterproof. So that was pretty wild to see. Um, he's, But he's just... He's the quintessential person for doing stuff like that. Like every yeah, time you think you know Corey. what Corey's gonna do, like he's gonna throw you another curveball. So <laughs> um, that's the really fun part of hunting with them, or one of the really far fun parts of hunting with them and hanging out with them. Yeah, uh, good dude, smart dude, fun to be around. Good family up there, and I know you're close uh, living with the with his family up there too at DRC, and uh, it's a good time up there. Yeah, so. yeah I'm extremely thankful for. Uh, the opportunity that he's given me and just uh, how accepting his family has been of, you know, allowing me to basically live with them. You know, I eat dinner with them every night. I, yeah. I, uh, how uh, many times has Kelsey been described as a saint by everybody that knows Corey? Oh, by the man. Way. Like, yeah. <laughs> just so nice. I mean, yeah. yeah, she, I'd say that word describes her perfectly. And some fresh pups up there. Uh, Corey, uh, Rue and Sean stalls, uh, Carl. Yep. Yep. So got eight cool. little black labs and oh my gosh, they are growing so quickly. Like I've never been around puppies before and I'm actually really excited. I'm driving back up there tonight. I'm probably the thing I'm most excited for is to see how big those puppies are, have gotten in three or four days. Cause they are growing like, like a like weeds basically yeah. like i mean just incredible how quickly um and rue's been doing a great job just feeding them non-stop so they're getting that big old milk diet and uh they're i think they'll be ready to you know be going home to some forever families here before too long well man it was fun having you down here let's do it again uh have a safe uh, safe drive back up to to thief river falls and drc's uh, home base up there and thanks for being on the show yeah thank you so much brett or brett yeah it was an absolute pleasure and it was a pleasure meeting you as well dan yeah absolutely thanks for coming home sporting journal radio is a division of macaba llc if you've got a question comment or story idea for us send us an email go to sportingjournalradio.com while you're there you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats hoodies coffee mugs and more go to sportingjournalradio.com